If you see the title of the sermon, no, it's not on ecology, uh, justification of caring about trees. Uh, not that that would be bad, I guess. Uh, but as been alluded to uh, many times so far, uh, one of the uh, grand themes of the Reformation uh, is justification. And so actually, uh, David chose uh, this text uh, for me um, uh, because he knows the Bible, and this is a Reformation uh, text. Now, I'm going to concentrate. You see in your Bible, it's from Galatians 1 through 14. But I'm going to concentrate on 10 through 14. We'll get there in a minute. That's five verses of which he quotes the Old Testament four times. And this topic, justification, forgiveness, and we'll, we'll round it all out. My goal, hopefully the text and therefore the sermon, is for you to intellectually understand justification a little more than you do now. And maybe for some of you, understand it for really for the first time. So the intellectually understand and all little angles about it, but also part of the goal of the text and part of the goal of the sermon is that you emotionally love it because it's connected to Christ, his love for you. So ultimately, you love Christ more as you intellectually understand justification more and you emotionally love it more. Therefore, you intellectually, emotionally love Christ more. That's the goal. Now again, these are going to be pretty technical verses. Maybe that's why David gave it to me. He wanted me to do the technical stuff. I'm joking, of course. Okay, before we, we get there, let's start with some technical kind of definitions. Uh, let's get to the front of our brains the distinction between what we might call legal or forensic issues and then what we might call existential or personal issues issues. Let me explain. Okay, a legal issue is usually something decided by a judge. I, the judge, declare X good, X bad, or that's justified, that's uh, condemned. Uh, usually we'll use the word guilty, although that's a little uh, diffusing. And usually the judgment is made after the events. The judge, or the jury and the judge, look at events, they compare it to the law, and they go, oh, the events match the law, you're justified. The events don't match the law, you're condemned or guilty. So we've got to have in our head legal issues. What did the judge decide? Okay, now, in addition to that, on the other side of the coin, we have, to use a technical word, existential or existence or you personally issues. If you personally committed the crime, uh, then the judge would legally decide you were personally uh, guilty. Now, sometimes it works out you did not commit the crime. You were existentially innocent, but the judge got it wrong. So in that goofy situation, the judge said guilty, you were existentially innocent. So again, we've got to have a distinction between what the judge says and existentially what you are. Now, how does that relate to the Bible? In the Bible, justification's a legal statement, what the judge said. And we'll get to the details about it, but what the judge said. 
But sanctification, as we use it, is you being changed. You have faith in Christ that has legal implications, but it also has you're being changed. The Holy Spirit changes you. Existentially, you're loving Christ more. And then ultimate existential change is new heavens and new earth. So we've got to have legal in our brain, and we've got to have you personally or existential in our brain. Now, our, our text is also going to use the word tree. So uh, we'll discuss trees uh, a little later, and you'll see how that relates to justification. Okay, Galatians 3. I'm going to read 1 through 14, but 10 through 14 is what we're going to concentrate on. Uh, and to set it up a little bit, Paul has discussed the doctrine of justification by faith in, chapter, in the chapter 2, and then he's going to sort of press upon them that church in Galatia, some of the people are wavering. They're confused. They're listening to some bad guys that are telling them things. And Paul's like, hey, you've got to believe in justification. Okay. Galatians 1, or Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that now you're perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that as those by faith that are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And if you thought that was technical, now we get to 10 through 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide in all the things written in the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one's justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, one who does them shall live by faith. And then famous verse 13a, which should emotionally touch you. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. And we'll get back to that tree later. So that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so we may receive the promised Spirit through faith. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, have us intellectually and emotionally love Christ more. I pray this in the name who hung on the tree. Amen. Okay, 10 through 14. Is this, I, is this too high maybe? I keep... 
the sound working all right? Okay. Uh, let me quickly go through 10 through 14. We'll come back to tree and we'll come back to justification. Okay, verse 10. He's trying to prove you're justified by faith. He says in 10, For all who work, rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And now he's, for it's written, and he's going to quote from Deuteronomy 27, 26, Cursed be everyone who does not abide in all the things written by the book of the law and do them. Okay, notice the word, does not abide by all the things, and at the end, do them. Okay, notice, why does that verse say you're under a curse? It says you're only under a curse if you don't do everything. So what's the implication? You didn't do everything. See, basically, the verse says, be perfect. And if you're not, you're cursed. So in the beginning of 10, he says, everybody who wants to do the be perfect option, that's an option in the Bible, theoretically speaking. We'll get back to that. But everybody that wants the be perfect option, look what he says in the beginning of 10. Oh, that's the works of the law. Get to heaven by being perfect. Get to heaven by being existentially perfect. Oh, you're under a curse. Because, quoting Deuteronomy, everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them are cursed. So, theoretically, perfect, go to heaven. Uh, but due to Adam's sin, we can't do it. Now, in fact, Adam, before he sinned, had this option too. And, and in the theology, we call this the covenant of works. Adam had the option to be perfect, but he sinned. And that all got transferred uh, to all believers except for Christ. Okay, verse 11. He's going to give another argument by why works of the law or be perfect isn't going to win. Verse 11. Now it is evident from the Old Testament that no one is justified by God before the law because, now he quotes from Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by faith. And what he's saying is it's obvious that the no one can get to heaven by merit option is wrong because other parts of the Old Testament show the ultimate view of the Old Testament is the faith option. See, in one sense you could say both options are in the Old Testament, be perfect or the faith option. But the reality is the faith option is the main point. The be perfect, as we're going to see later, is to drive you to see that you're not perfect. And therefore, you need faith. Now, how can there be these two options in the Old Testament? Later in Galatians 3.19, we won't run there, but he's going to say one use of the be perfect option is to show you you can't be perfect. That's very similar to, where's Chris? He moved, he was, he was over. Chris, there he is. Uh, and then Chris was talking about Jesus with the uh, rich young ruler. Why did Jesus say that to the rich young ruler? Love God, love neighbor. Because he knew the rich young ruler was all proud of his existential abilities. And that drive him to show that he was a sinner. So one use of the law in the Old Testament is to show you you can't do it. You're a sinner. 
That's just, we might say, a small point to drive you to the main point, which is uh, faith. Now, interestingly, Paul is going to quote the law later in chapter 5 and show that the law is good. And then as a believer, we want to follow the law like the moral law. So there's other uses of the law. But here, the use of the law is to drive you to see you can't do it. Now, verse 13a. Now, you may be saying to yourself, okay, I can't do the perfect option, but how in the world does the faith option work? How do I get out of this curse thing? I can't do the law. I'm cursed. How do I get out of it? He hasn't explained it yet. He said the Bible says the faith option, but doesn't explain the logic of why that's true. He does in 13a. Look at 13a. Not you, somebody else. Christ redeemed or purchased back to us from sin, redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? And now these amazing words. Becoming a curse for or in place of us. Look at that text. You believe that text. Do you believe that text? You were under a curse, but Christ redeemed you from the curse, not just by saying, oh, you're forgiven, but by becoming a curse himself in place of or in substitution of you. Uh, if you have your Bible, run over to chapter 4. 4 and 5, he's going to say a similar thing here. So I'm at chapter 4, 4 and 5. And he's talking about in the history of redemption, when the fullness of time had come, meaning when Jesus came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, meaning born under the requirements to be perfect. And why was that? To redeem those who were under the law. Even New Testament, during the New Testament time, they were under the law, the moral law, the requirement to be perfect. Set forth a son, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. The requirement to be perfect. And this substitution, although we only see in Galatians 3, the first side of it, he became a curse for us. But the other part of the law was be perfect. And Christ lived a perfect life. So therefore, our existential sin was legally put on Christ. So our existential sin legally put on Christ, and then he suffered the existential consequences of it, being on a cross. And all our evil thrown on him uh, on the cross. And then that's one half of the exchange. The other half is Jesus's existential perfectness, righteousness, was legally given to us. So we're legally declared righteous. That's what justification means, legally declared righteous. Our existential Sin, legally given to Christ. Christ's existential righteousness, legally given to us so that we can be declared 
justified. The, the word justified just by the essence of the Greek and the Hebrew just means declared righteous. We're legally declared righteous. And we'll work out more of the logic of that in a few minutes. Go to 221. If you have your Bibles, we're in chapter 3. Go back to 221. See if this makes sense to you. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, see, somehow grace is the opposite of the righteousness through the law. If you got righteous, if you were legally declared righteous by what you did, then look what he says. Christ died for no purpose. If you become existentially perfect on your own, Jesus didn't need to die. Hopefully that first makes sense to you. That's what grace is about. You will, as we're going to explain a little later, you are going to be declared righteous even though you didn't existentially do it. Because Jesus died for your sin and he lived the perfect life. Uh, that is transferred to you, legally speaking. Okay, I'm going to come back to the tree in a little while. So the tree is the second half of 13, but let's go to 14 and round this out. Okay, why might Jesus die for you and so forth and so on, be justified by faith? There's many reasons. Look at this reason. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham, all these promises, covenantal promises to Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, and which ones? that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now there, again, he's, that's a, you will be changed existentially to some degree in this life. Well, not perfectly, but when we get to heaven. So one benefit of justification is you then get existentially changed more and more in this life. Okay, let's go to the tree. Second half of 13. I'll read all of 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung or is hanged or is hanging on a tree. Now that's a quote from Deuteronomy. If you have your Bible, go back to Deuteronomy. That's the fifth book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, chapter 21. Verses 22 and 23. So Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. Now back in the variety of cultures in the ancient world, if someone committed a really, really, really heinous sin, they usually would kill them, stone them, or kill them with a sword. And then they would hang them on a, a tree or a, a wooden post. So this law is related to that. Deuteronomy 21, 22, reading, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and is put to death by stoning or a sword, you, and you hung him on a tree, his body shall not remain on there all night on the tree. So in the Jewish context, there's a limit to that. 
But then looks what it says in the middle of 23. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. A hanged man is cursed by God on the tree. Both in Hebrew and Greek, there's the word for tree and wood is the same word. Tree or wood, and then your translator just decides uh, what to do. And of course, the cross is made out of wood. And uh, hopefully you see those uh, connections. Now there's a separate word for cross in Greek. Now the writer Paul and other New Testament, we'll look at a few other texts, they were amazed by that verse in Deuteronomy. They said to themselves, God had this law in the Old Testament about these, the horrible criminals that were, uh, did these things and were cursed by putting them on wood slash tree. And God knew that his son would be coming. And this would be extra oomph showing you that he's cursed but glory be cursed for us that he's cursed now in the uh, greco-roman culture the cross more specifically the cross was also only used for the worst of the worst and it was a torture instrument it was not that it was torture that well it was bad enough sticking spikes in your hands and stuff like that, but it was the hanging there for several days that was the torture of it. And then there was also the public aspect of you hanging. So the worst of the worst. Now, another interesting angle to this about the tree is that many times in the Bible, tree is used super positively. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, there's the big tree. It's really good. The new heavens and new earth, there's a tree. It's really good. It talks about the tree and the leaves and the fruit, uh, the healing of the nations. It's good, 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 good. Tree good. But in our text, tree not good. But amazingly, the curse of the tree is life for us. So it ends up being good. There's a bunch of times in the Bible that tree is used instead of the word cross. And he's obviously referring to the cross. Maybe one you may know, 1 Peter, if I run over there. 1 Peter chapter 2, 24. Jesus, uh, speaking about Jesus, Peter. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. See, there's a little, see, when you read tree now, you got to get, there's the little extras, not just the cross is made out of wood, therefore tree. Oh, that's true. It's the curse angle. It's pushing the curse on you. It was on a tree that cursed Old Testament instrument. And then that curse was for us. 
Uh, Isaac Watts has a song. I think the last time I was here, I talked about the core 100 hymns that everybody knew. If you remember, you probably don't, but that's all right. Uh, Alas, and did my Savior bleed. How many know that? Alas, and did my... Okay, 30% maybe. Uh, uh, let me read to you the second line. And, of course, it's going to have the word tree in it here. Uh, so I'm in the second verse, at least, as the standard hymn books have it. Was it for crimes that I had done that he, Jesus, groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Again, was it for crimes? The answer is yes. Was it for crimes? that I had done, that he groaned upon the tree. So the hymn writers have that. If you look in your bulletin, I notice, although I didn't set this up, but I notice we're going to sing Power of the Cross. Uh, and I see in this, reading the first line, O see to the dawn of darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten, and then nailed on a cross of wood. I don't know everything that was in the mind of the hymn writer here, but somehow they were influenced of wood. It's not like, well, of course it was wood. No, you get the tree curse angle there. The cross was bad enough that a person dying there, being tortured on a cross, was bad enough. But in Jesus' case, in addition to that, it was the curse of God upon him. Okay. Let me give another shot at explaining justification within sort of the logic of the Bible. How does this word make sense? Justification. How do we use justification? Say we're not in church. How do you use the word justification? And how does that relate to how we use it in the Bible. As hopefully I'll show you, it all relates. Okay, first of all, how do we normally use justification? Uh, in a non-technical, non-legal, everyday language. You know, my preseason prediction about the New York, I'm a New York Giants fan, the New York Giants is that they'd be, you know, number one in the, no, okay. So my preseason, was my preseason prediction justified? Well, no, because, well, if you know anything, okay, no, they stink. Uh, what do we, what, how do we use the word justification in everyday life? Here's how we do it. We have a truth claim. Then we have a bunch of facts. And then our brain compares the truth claim to the facts. And if they match, we say it's justified. If it doesn't match, Bad, condemned, whatever, not justified. So, preseason prediction, truth claim. The actual facts about the New York Giants? No. Nah. Didn't match. Not justified. Okay, here's a statement in the Bible uh, from Matthew 11. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. How does that make sense? Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Okay, we have wisdom or Proverbs. And if you wisely use the Bible and apply it to life, the deeds will match what happened. 
So you have wisdom, what to do, then you did it, and it worked out. So the truth claim, wisdom, was justified by what worked out their deeds. Okay, now let's move, that's sort of everyday life. Now let's move it up to legal scenarios. Okay, in the Bible, many times, Deuteronomy 25.1 is a, a famous place. It talks about a judge. What is the judge's job? And it says the judge's job is to justify the righteous or the just and to condemn the ungodly. That makes sense. A judge, he has a law in front of him. He has a person. Did the person match the law? And if he did, the judge says he's justified. So, and if he didn't, he's not justified or he's condemned or whatever. Now, okay, so what is justification? It's in a normal, non-theological way. It's having a law, having facts. You look at it and you see if they match. Okay. Therefore, justified by works makes sense. How are non-Christians evaluated? They evaluate in the beginning of their life? No. They're evaluated at the end of the life. That makes sense. God said, be perfect or have faith in Christ. Looks at their life. They're sinners. He then, at the end, declares them, because they're existentially sinful, he declares them sinners not getting into heaven. Makes sense. When does the judge make the decision? In a standard court. After all the evidence has been presented. At the end. You look at it and determine what's going on. Truth claim, what happened, make a decision. Therefore, to say you're justified by faith does not, on the surface, make sense. Because we've got to have some facts in front of us. How can I be justified by faith? And on top of that, how can I be justified by faith when I first believe I haven't died yet? How can I be justified by faith before the end? So you've got to get in your, in your brain, justified by faith, on the surface, does not make sense. But how can it be true? Because at the end, we're not going to be judged on our existential works. We're going to be judged on somebody else's works. Christ's works. And since it's not going to be our works at the end, therefore we can be justified when we first believe. We can take the end game judge decision, bring it back to when we first believe. Why? Because it's not our works. If it was our works, we'd have to add to the end. See if we matched it up. See, when the... Paul, and even the Old Testament said, justified by faith. You go, well, that doesn't make sense. Unless someone is substituting for me and has already done the work. Therefore, we glory in the, what on the surface doesn't make sense, justified by faith. Justified by works is normal. Now, theologically, we can't do it, so that's a problem. 
But in some sense, in a judge situation, that's normal. We're justified by the work of Christ. And the instrument by which we grab onto it is faith. And all that's called grace. We're justified. We're declared righteous. Where does the righteousness come from? The Lord Jesus Christ. What happened to our sin? He was cursed for us. See, the glory of the Bible, the glory of God loving us so much, there's many angles to it, but the legal angle is you're justified based on somebody else's work. Therefore, it's faith in that somebody else. And faith in that somebody else, the Lord Jesus Christ, truly God, truly man, who loved us and gave himself for us. Now, another angle to justification is that's not all the benefits we get. If you put your true faith in Christ, you get the legal benefit of justification, but you also get the Holy Spirit, our verse 14. And then in this life, you do existentially change, but that's not what you're going to be judged on. So you live for Christ, not perfectly, more and more in this life, existentially we're being changed, technical word sanctification, and then we're going to be 100% changed when we get to the new heavens and new earth, perfect bodies, perfect soul. But we're going to be judged legally as able to go to heaven based on the work of someone else the Lord Jesus Christ. Conclusion. 13a. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The grand solution is substitution. Someone else is doing the work. That's the legal angle. And we're legally declared Perfect. In addition to that, we're given the Holy Spirit and we more and more live for Christ. Do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Second half of 13. Cursed is everyone who hanged or is hanged or is hanging on a tree. Again, trees in the Bible are normally really positive. Good ecology sermon there, Dave, if you want one. Uh, but in this case, the tree is a symbol of a curse. But glory be a curse that brings life. Isaac Watts said, was it for crimes that I had done that he groaned upon the tree? How would you answer that? He answered, yes, it was. How would you answer that? Did Jesus die for you? What do you think? And your answer in your head. Do you believe that? Do you love Christ because he loved you first? Do you believe you're being changed by the Holy Spirit? More and more, not perfectly, more and more. 
That's part of the joy of the gospel. It has its legal part, but then it's existential, changing us. Do you believe you're going to be perfect, new heavens and new earth? 13a, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son. In one sense, it's so easy. Just believe in him, and we thank you for the ability to do that. Yes, there's technical angles. We don't need to know them all. But aid us in understanding our salvation better, and thus aid us in loving and living for Christ more and more. I pray this in the name of the one who was cursed on a tree. Amen.